As a little child, I remember when my dad would come home from work. I would have expectation and I'd listen for that car when it drove in the driveway, that Delta 88 with the 450 block engine. Remember those? Boom, boy, that thing drove four door. It was a family sedan nonetheless. And I remember if he took the bus, he would walk from down the street, the bus stop. And I just look out that window going, when's my dad gonna be here? I had expectation. Sometimes it was all I could think about. You see, I was looking for my dad's glory. I loved my dad because he was the light of my life. Today's lesson is called glory. That is his glory. And the first point is light. John the Baptist was a light. He wasn't the light, right? But he was a light, an important light, because his mission was to direct the Jewish people toward Jesus Christ in the direction God wanted them to go, to look and to see the light, the light. If you've ever been in the wilderness, then you know the importance of light, especially at nighttime. When that darkness surrounds you, maybe there's a cloud cover and the stars you can't see or the moon doesn't share its glory. Sometimes you have others following you. And maybe you are the only one with the flashlight. If you've ever been in that situation, have you ever liked to get give up your flashlight if you had it? No, I got the flashlight. I'm the only one, so I'm in charge. Listen to me. Follow me. Here we go. It's my light. So you plot a course. Follow me. So the goal of the light bearer is what? To bring people to safety, to guide them along their path, to help them to retrieve comfort, rest, food and warmth, in essence, to get them to the true light. So the light bearer is not the true light. The true light is where you can be safe, where you can have your warmth and your food, where camp is. Now this was the goal of John, First John, or John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about what? The light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light. Now, you might know this name, Heinz. Heinz Ketchup and Heinz 57, the guy who invented that product. He was somewhat of a light bringer too, at least to the food industry. Have you ever eaten tainted meat? Maybe with metallic green color coating the surface and throughout? Well, during his time, guess what? There wasn't a lot of refrigeration going on and the USDA wasn't invented yet. And people who sold meat products right out on the street on a warm day or the butcher or whoever, there was no knowing 
the quality of that food. And that food, more or less, you'd probably get, if you lived during that time, green, tainted meat. Well, as people moved to the cities prior to World War I, they bought this meat. And as you can imagine, there's a reason why they had a lot of stomach problems during that era. The food was not that good unless you lived on the farm and you can make your own, right? But most people were, were leaving the agriculture and they were coming into the cities. This meat and other food products were not known for their quality. Can you imagine having a nice Sunday meal? How is it, honey? You probably didn't even get the question. Well, we already know how it is. <clears throat> Nasty. So Heinz created the condiment, ketchup, Heinz 57, that not only tasted good, but could cover up the taste of spoiled metallic green meat that everybody seemed to be eating. That's just not how we think today, is it? But that wasn't that long ago, was it? In the study of business, you learn that these innovations since the 20th century have made our life easier, perhaps even better, and maybe healthier. But these lights of innovation that led toward consumerism that we have are constantly in competition with each other, aren't they? This is a good analogy describing the light that has come into the world. Jesus, let me explain. Since the time of Jesus, his glory and light has shined in the darkness. It is the place where we want to be, John chapter 1, 9 through 13. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Oh, unfortunately, the realm of consumerism has influenced the Lord's church. And it didn't start in the 20th century. It started way back when. These other lights are the competing lights of influence that try to get our attention, that do not come from God, rather they come from Satan through man. As followers of Christ, we have an important job. It is to point people in the direction of His glory, His light. There He is. That's Jesus. You hear His word? That, that's Him. You see the memorial? That's about Him. You want to know the truth? It comes from Him. 
We're pointing people to the light. He is the Lamb of God, as John says, John the Baptist, who takes away the sins of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. Now for some that desire to lead, to be right, to get people to follow you is important. This is true for kids, and this is true for adults as well. Now imagine being caught in the wilderness with ten people, and two of you have flashlights. I'll lead them. No, I got a flashlight. I'll lead them. No, I got the flashlights. I'll lead them. <clears throat> Sadly, it usually stop, goes in a split, doesn't it? Who are you going to choose to follow? Well, one of them has a flashlight. You got to choose one of them because they're going in different directions. Well, I'll follow the one that he's my relative. I'll follow him or whatever. Whatever reason. Who do you choose? Do you follow John the Baptist who's leading people toward the real light? Or do you follow the Jewish leadership who's trying to lead people and keep people in the light of the old law? This what is what was going on at this time. Two groups with two lights. Which one will get you to comfort? Which one will get you to safety? Which influence are you going to listen to? You see, Satan has a flashlight too. And he is very convincing. Anybody want to argue that one? Oh boy. He's got a nice light. It's one of those, come on, follow me. I got this cool one. Will he take you down the path of truth or will he take you down the path of darkness? Will he bring you to God's grace or will he bring you to God's wrath? So our light needs to be the light of Jesus, correct? We need to point people in the way of Jesus because Jesus is the true light because only his light brings people to his glory. Second point, grace. Mankind has always been under a law. We might debate that. It might be a good class, but the reality is we've always been under a law. The law of right and wrong, the law of good and evil, as is measured by God. Whether it is codified or not does not mean God's commandments don't exist. But the law of Moses was a codified law given by, given by God to Moses for the Israelite people. Over time and in certain generations, it was understood legalistically. Don't think that was the intent at all. I must perform to earn or achieve at least not the scale over by a degree so I can be safe in God's goodness. If I do good 51% of the time, I'm on God's positive side. Oh, that's a little bit legalistic there. Some at the time of Jesus were influenced by this thought process. Very much so. But the law of Moses at its core value was good. It was good. 
It was good because God had a deep love for his people. He brought them out of the slavery of Egypt. He wanted them to see his deep love, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, 20 through 25. But the law of Moses also taught them about sin. Oh, we talked about sin this morning, didn't we, in Bible class? Verses 24 and 25, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive. Does that sound like God wants our destruction? Not if we follow what he knows is best. As we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all that he has commanded before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. All in all, the law didn't come from evil. Can you say the law of Moses came from evil? If it came from God? No. Because God loved his people. Now, the Lamb of God has come into the world. And as God, who took on human existence, he offers grace. And this grace in the context of salvation happened because of his perfect sacrifice. This grace is a wonderful thing. You give somebody a piece of chocolate, they're going, Woohoo, that's a wonderful thing. Well, I tell you what, grace is a lot more tastier than chocolate. In fact, John the Apostle distinguished this movement that has come. This new law, this pattern of truth, different from the old law, as the other gospel's writers did. The law of liberty, according to James. The law of Christ. The law of the spirit of life, according to Paul's various topics in his writings. This new movement, distinguished from what was an approved codified, began first at Pentecost after Jesus' death and resurrection in Acts chapter 2. You see, the Apostle John said this, 1 John chapter 1, verse 17. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Something different. You see, our Lamb of God can do what no other sacrifice could do. He can permanently remove our sins. The penalty thereof. John the Baptist saw the foundation of this movement at Jesus' immersion. How will you know who he is? When you see the Holy Spirit come down on him when you are baptizing. Whoa! Something new is here and is coming and is developing. Listen to what John the Baptist was told. John chapter 1, 33 through 34. I myself did not know him, but he, was, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 
He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. And the Son of God has brought us grace and truth. And who among us believes that means you can do what you want to do? Boy, we have taken this word grace and really have made it into something that is not the intended concept as we play out our world. If you really think about it deeply, God, Jesus have expectations, don't they? They have commandments, don't they? A law for us to do, not a legalistic system, but a law for us to do, to follow. Though it is not intended to be this legalistic system, earning favor by your works, try to make up for Jesus couldn't do on the cross. You know, that's basically what it is, isn't it? Oh, Jesus' blood can only go so far, so I need to make up the difference. That's legalism. Obedience is not legalism. Thinking that you can earn God's favor by your obedience is legalism. But grace and truth is still truth. And truth has expectations. The reality of truth is truth is truth. So if you fall from a 10 stories, you're going to fall, right? That's truth. So don't walk off the cliff. Otherwise, you're going to expect truth to happen. Even the law of Moses had realistic concepts. Truly, one big difference between the two, the sacrifices. Right? The sacrifices. The sacrifices of the law of Moses. And its system could not permanently re remove the stain of sin. No one in their right mind ever thought that an animal could take away their sins on a permanent basis. They knew that. They were thinking. But God's grace through Jesus can. And with his grace comes the truth of his grace. Grace and truth speak of a new and better covenant. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15. Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. In my early days of working construction, a big concern was following in the industry. Asbestos. Who's heard of the word asbestos? Everybody has now heard of the word asbestos. It is kind of like Coca-Cola in the food industry. Oh, but we look at it differently, right? No, can't have that asbestos. Asbestos is bad. But at the beginnings, asbestos was good. It was a good insulation product. 
However, if it was handled in the dry form, sprinkled from the ceiling or from the pipes that it might be covering, it was not good for our lungs. Not at all. <coughs> you might be coughing today. You might have cancer. You might have a certain kind of lung issue. So a new industry was formed. Asbestos removal. I remember seeing those guys for the first time coming in their white suits. I thought they were Darth Vader except good guys because they were wearing white, you know. Breathing apparatus. They tape up the buildings. They do all this. Everybody had to move out. No one can go in to do any work until their abatement was finished. Yet, a cleaner work environment, we would all say, is a good thing. It's essential for our well-being. Now, when I was a child, often I would hear my mom say, that's a stainer, that's a stainer. And usually I'd be carrying a glass of grape juice or red Kool-Aid through the house. Stainer, I mean, there was context to this. She just didn't go around babbling, stainer, stainer, stainer. There was a context. I was carrying something that'd be, I could spill pretty easy. Now, why would she be so repetitive in this statement? Well, maybe because I dribbled a lot. I don't know. Maybe because she was tired of picking up <clears throat> those stains off the floor. Definitely, it would get on my clothes. And of course, from a mother's point of view, you're, gonna, you're not going to send your kids to school with this big old red stain on his shirt or his pants, right? It's a big deal. I don't want people thinking that my kids are mishandled. It becomes a matter of pride. Was she successful all the time? No. So she had to keep me aware. John says this, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sins of the world. That stainer. That nasty stain that you can't get out. And then I remember that consumerism product. Bleach your clothes, but now you can do the colored clothes. Remember that when that came out? Yeah, I never heard of bleach helping out colored clothes until guess what? When I was a little kid, a new bottle came out. Bleach that will help your even your colored clothes. Honestly, I think God had a great marketing strategy through John the Baptist there. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I want to be free from that sin. That's a great product. I like that product. All moms should love that product. Then you can let your kids walk around going, my kid's not under penalty of sin anymore. Wow! You could stand tall and proud. I did a good job. I brought Jesus to the light, our people to the light. I got some good stain remover. Who wouldn't want that kind of cleansing? But only God can forgive sins. Exactly. Exactly. John was guiding people to the light. The light happened to be the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God can take away 
the sins of the world. Who can forgive sins but God? What did Jesus do? He is the light. There is a teaching on grace that should be bothering to all of us. It is the idea that sin is acceptable. Is that what grace teaches? That sin is acceptable? Go on sinning, that grace may abound. And this acceptability is based more on our ideology, the study of what we want, the study of our idea, rather than God's truth. I partly blame those who inaccurately teach their concept of Christian freedom. Oh, you got freedom in Christ to do what you want to do. Is that what that's teaching? Really? There's still consequences for sin? Really? But I thought I had freedom to do what I wanted to do. They have this concept of Christian freedom. And they put on top of it a cherry called God's grace. Doesn't that look good? Here's my light. <laughs> Follow me. I've even seen their concept of God's grace extended to people who refuse to repent. Do we have a right to extend God's grace to people who refuse to repent? Now, how we deal with people under different circumstances needs to be done with love, goodness, kindness, but truth. But more often in our world, it's about, I'll bring the point home. These wayward Christians say, as we're talking about abortion is fine even in the Christian realm because we're trying to put mother's rights first talk to Crystal sorry to put you on the spot she got, has those ladies on Facebook how can we be against Roe versus Wade Look what it's doing to the rights of the mother. What are they doing? They're extending grace in ways that God is not extending grace. Homosexuality. How many churches do you know that are extending that as a, isn't that another form of love? We have grown since the first century. It's now, should we hate the homosexual person? No. Should we allow them into our congregation so that they hear the word of God? Yes. Should we extend grace saying they are just fine if they don't repent from it? But that's what people are doing. 
Grace and truth is not the idea of doing what you want to do and thinking it's all under the realm of Christian freedom. It's talking about a movement different from the old law, a covenant where Jesus sacrifice reigns supreme. We look to His glory, but what are we doing? Our own thing? We shouldn't be. We still have expectations. To are we perfect? No. And hence, we're all here recognizing that. But our goal is not to put a cheapened idea of grace on top of it like cherry on ice cream. Even Paul said Christians should lead an obedient life. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, <clears throat> but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And how do we know His truth and His grace? It is through His Word, His commandments. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The youth rally yesterday was entitled Called. C-A-L-L-E-D. The idea was we're all called to do something for God. It's chosen for us. Spreading the gospel or living the life. But within that word called is the word all. A-L-L. -L. So they did a play on words. We are called to all. We are called to reach all. Not only is Jesus the light to this world, but he brings his grace and truth. This grace and truth were codified in a new covenant. It's written down for us. It doesn't teach legalism, but it does teach an obedient faith. So allow Jesus to be that continual purifier of your sins and rejoice in his glory. So if I was in a congregation in the South, maybe, or a black congregation, right now they'd be going, woohoo, and lifting their hands going, amen. But I can look out here right now and see that same expression just on your faces. Rejoice in the purification that comes through the blood of Christ and reach others in the same way. If there's anybody here this morning who has any needs, uh, prayer requests or otherwise, please come forward now as together we stand.